The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. We are counting down to next week's mega cap earnings bonanza. More than $10.5 trillion worth of market cap set to report in the coming days. Will the results live up to expectations or will the magnificent rally lose some of its steam? Plus, social welfare. Florida legislators approving a bill to ban social media use for kids. Can the measures go through and what impact could they have on the biggest social stocks? We'll debate that. And later, Amex at an apex. Shares of the credit card company hitting record highs on the back of earnings. What did the numbers say about the strength of the consumer and the future of financials? I'm Melissa Lee. Come to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Carter Worth, Dan Nathan, and Julie Beal will join us in just moments. We start off with what might be the moment of truth for the MAG7. Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, and Meta platforms all on tap to report earnings next week. And most of these stocks have been rallying ahead of the results. Meta shares, in fact, hitting a record high today, up nearly 170% over the past year. Amazon trading at highs not seen since spring of 2022. It is up 60% over the last 52 weeks. But will the results support continued gains? Will we rally off of them? Or are we in for a terrible setup here, Tim? What do you think? I think the most important ones are kind of split here. I think, it, you know, Apple, I don't think they're going to wow us with anything. They're probably going to have some surprises on the capital market side. The capital return story continues to be really positive. And, and, and the margin in their business around services is something that's interesting. Microsoft, though, look, Azure, we've kind of been guided 27 to 28 uh, percent. I think the whisper is that it could come in a little higher than that. Commercial cloud up 16 percent. Uh, the dynamics around AI and the, you know, the 365 platform and what that's doing to ASPs. They're coming higher. So they're margins are getting better. The economies of scale are working for them. And even though it's hard to say, hey, I love Microsoft here, I think I think fundamentally that story is the most interesting. And then Google, to me, and Meta, the ones that obviously on valuation are easier to get behind, even despite that move on Meta you described. Google, uh, probably the most interesting for me on some level, even though Amazon has the best chart. How'd we do? We, we did it. That's, it's that's over. A really How do we recap. Just right, drop the mic. Later, We're done. Yeah. No, but I mean, in, ter- in terms of Meta, the interesting setup, the setup is interesting because last quarter, they actually posted a pretty good quarter. And then there's a commentary on the conference call that really spooked investors. And you sort of want to see if there's a continuation of that in terms of the softness they flagged in the ad market specifically because of Israel. Because that can have real ramifications for a lot of others, including an alphabet, for instance. Yeah, no, it was interesting. That was like a little bit of a pause. I think investors yeah. were looking for a reason to kind of take, take their foot off the pedal a little bit, especially after that run that it had over the last you know year and a half or so. To me, it really does come down to the, mar- uh, the, the market cap ones. It comes down to Microsoft and it comes down to Apple. And when you think about Microsoft, that stock has rallied 10% just in the last few weeks alone. You know what? That is equal to $300 billion in market cap. It has rallied 30% since late September. That That is equal to a trillion dollars in market cap. So whatever 
great story that you want to lay out about generative AI and what it is doing to their existing business and what they're going to be able to charge for it and what the margin framework looks like. It is trading at 35 times this year's expected earnings are going to grow, let's say, mid-teens, maybe at best high teens, okay, on kind of mid-teens. You know, revenue growth. This stock has never traded at that multiple again, and it's traded or before, excuse me, and it's trading about 31 times next year. So you just have to come up with a narrative that gets rosier and rosier every quarter without any hiccups to justify it right here, given where the stock is trading. And listen, there were times last year where the stock had come off 10, 15 percent, and you'd say to yourself, "All right, maybe the sentiment isn't appreciating what might come over the next year or two. That's not the case right so now. So the biggest are the biggest concern to you. Apple is not Apple is not a big concern to me because yeah. there is nothing in and around generative AI. If anything, they might be able to surprise on handsets. But they the, might be able to surprise on China and that might be the thing that causes that to be. The big names lie. though, Apple is still the it's the crowd favorite, right? I mean, it has been always the largest until this recent thing with Microsoft. And this is a testament this past week of why relative strength as a factor as an investor is one of the most robust over time. The ones that have been struggling, Apple and Tesla, are still struggling. Apple's relative performance peaked almost almost six quarters ago. And the ones that have been performing continue to perform. The question really is, I think this week, Amazon and Apple. Uh, those are the two that I think are the most important. Okay. So, Chartmaster, great having you here. It's always great having you here. But you talk <laughs> well, about relative you. strength here and the weakness in those two. But I, I look at the NASDAQ 100 and the relative strength against the S&P. This week, it made an all-time high. Yeah. It did. Uh, and so, you know, that to me, in terms of the leadership of this market, once again, tells me we're going higher. Well, so, so what's interesting is we only made a slight new relative yeah. high, right, compared to the peak of 4 January 2022. So um, more than two years later, just now in the past eight to 10 sessions, the Qs have exceeded the relative performance high of the S&P. Uh, but to your point, uh, all eyes are on this group. And this also, I would point this out. It, it's only in the last three years that they've typically reported all in the same week. They didn't used to. And that's right. been clustering the way we always, Alcoa was always first. And on average, the week when they do all uh, do report, it is flatter down uh, fairly consistently. So we shall see um, what happens this coming. By the way, it's so funny to think about like Alcoa versus Apple. Think about that. Once I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Alcoa. Sorry, Alcoa, right? They always report. Sorry. First. That's right. My things, how, how things have changed. Uh, Julie, how are you, you know, the setup for Apple, fortunately, maybe, um, you know, the sentiment on Apple was so sour at the beginning of the year and has only turned sort of a little bit better, rosier, uh, more recently. There's so much concern about, you know, handsets, about saturation, about who's going to hold on to their handsets longer, about China, et cetera. Yeah, I think, you know, Apple, just like any kind of marriage, is a, it's a function of how low are your expectations. And that's how you really kind of succeed. And I think in this case, it's in a much better position in terms of expectations being more reasonable than a lot of the other players. Exactly why, you know, Dan was saying it's, it's, you know, there is no gen AI over here. Um, and I actually think that they have access to data that would allow them to be very persuasive in generative AI. And they have a much higher safety component with people where people feel comfortable with their having the data. But it's the one that I think I'm paying the most attention to strictly because expectations seem more reasonable. Amazon, I think it's a really important play, not in terms so much just of the consumer, which I think we kind of have the data that we need for how the consumer did over holiday, but really for business spend and the appetite for business spend. Yeah, as a read on enterprise, as a read also on cloud, uh, Mizuho had a note out recently, I think it was just last week or this week, saying that they're very confident in terms of the revenue acceleration line for AWS going to 2024, meaning the uptake in cloud is going to be even greater and the comparisons get even better. And you wonder sort of at 
at whose expense does that happen here? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So we talk about these five names. You talk about the market cap. You talk about where they are. Relative strength or not, absolute, where these, these stocks are driving the S&P and they're driving the, the NASDAQ. If you look at the QQQ, one week from today, okay, so let's say it closed at 424 today. The 424 put that expires next Friday, okay, it costs you 1%, the at the money, 1% to, it, to ensure the QQQ between now and that. I mean, that is like ridiculously cheap, unheard of, complacent, whatever adjective you want to throw in and around there. If you own these stocks and you love them and you love the long-term stories, but you are nervous near term, there is a way to protect them very cheaply right now. Absolutely. And there's a case to be made that regardless what happens this coming week, you put in an intermediate high. Think about it. The numbers are fantastic. They all, all of them do what Netflix did, right? right? And do what IBM did. What's the follow-on? That's it. We've priced it in. We go up 2 3%. Or they all miss, and they pull the, the opposite. But either way, the case can be made that either it's now or in the coming week that you put in an important intermediate high. One of the things I was doing with a client this week who's got bedrock positions in all these names, obviously, but, but if you think about the momentum and the deltas in these names on the upside, this is such a great time to be selling upside out a year. So, and, you know, if at some point you're going to get called away, you have an opportunity even to, to go in there and get it. But you're, you're well paid. Uh, after a 60% move to 100% move in all these companies, they're not going to do that this year. And there's no way they're going to do it. But you're paid to sell upside here. But think about this. What, what day was it? Uh, the day before in uh, Tesla's earnings. Remember okay. we detailed, uh, you know, so if you were long that stock, right, right. and we did it on the show, and we talked about it, you could sell out-of-the-money calls, and you could take those proceeds of that call sale, and you could buy a put. And you could buy a put that actually was in play. We were looking at that 192 right. half put yeah. when the stock was 209. Where did the stock close on the week? $184. So there's definitely ways. I mean, I think the options market right now, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about it. Premiums are really low. The VIX is that, you know, below 13 or whatever. There are ways to protect single positions. There are ways to take in yield against those positions. No and then in some instances, use that and buy some put protection. Let's talk a little bit more about options. Oh, seems like, like an OA. Oh, wow. Like you know, well, look, right I mean, you got... Um, the options market feeling very bullish. In fact, <clears throat> excuse me, on a couple of Magnificent Seven names set to report. Mike Coe joins us with a look at the action. Mike, what are you seeing? Yeah, so Dan was talking about AI, and of course, a name that wasn't really being discussed that much, but definitely has been in play in the AI space lately is AMD. Uh, Of the names that are reporting next week, that was actually the busiest single stock option, and that one's implying a move of about 8.3%, and that's actually significantly larger uh, than the 7% or so that it has averaged over the last eight reported quarters. Meta is the second biggest move, basically, in, the, in this category of stock. That one's implying a move of about 6.7%. That's lower than average, but that's, of course, because over the last eight quarters, they've had some absolutely wild moves. Both cases, it was the upside calls expiring next week that were busiest going into earnings. In the case of AMD, it was the 180 strike calls. We saw just shy of 20,000 of those trade for about seven and a half bucks. That would take the stock to a new all-time high. Of course, everyone will remember it hit a high yesterday. And Meta, it's basically the same story. The 395 calls expiring next week. We saw over 6,000 of those trading for just under 15 bucks a contract. So those traders are obviously betting that the stock could exceed 410 or so after they report. Wow, that's a lot of activity. Um, Tim, what, what concerns you about next week specifically? Well, we have a couple. First of all, it's, it's a massive week. Uh, we, we do have a Fed meeting, folks. I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot there. And if anything, uh, I think the dynamics around some of the data we got today, we had PCE out. Uh, so the core 
PCE inflation that's very important to the Fed, uh, was the best number we've seen in over a couple of years. Uh, I am worried about this Treasury funding announcement. So the TRA, as we now all know it, nobody knew those initials met together before. The Treasury refunding announcement will show what we're going to do in the next quarter in terms of what this government is going to do to finance a deficit that's never been larger at higher rates. And, and we've known that at times that's been a significant event for the equity market. I realize uh, the Fed, if anything, you know, has some support to to get more dovish. I don't think they're going to I think they're going to be very careful about how they they talk about that. But but again, long yields where we were with rates back in October, the market bottomed basically, uh, you know, a couple weeks after rates topped. So I think that's a very, very big moment next week. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the Treasury uh, refunding announcement, I believe the size of it is announced on Monday and then the cadence of it happens on on Wednesday. Right. So on Wednesday, we can really get the fireworks. And we saw that last time, bottom. right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that was a huge catalyst for the market. Uh, Julia, how about you? I mean, given what Mike was and by the way, Mike, thank you, Mike co. Um, given what we're seeing in terms of the option market, the expected moves are a little bit bigger for a couple of these players, AMD as well as Meta. Um, and then what Tim had outlined in terms of the, the overlay of the potential volatility in the Treasury market, it seems like a very treacherous week that we're headed into. Yeah, it's it's going to be pretty spectacular. I think you know the I think that what's happening in the treasury markets is really really pretty critical, and I think it's it's connected to what's going to happen with the Fed. The Fed is feeling a lot of pressure to to cut rates, and that makes sense because you know we've seen a major increase, but we're not at like crazy historic highs at these levels, and the Fed is very well aware that there is almost no stimulus left to give, right? We're already at these record deficits. So why would they give back, you know, the one tool they have to fight any kind of economic weakness or any exogenous event? There's not really a need when, you know, the labor market is as strong as it is. And I think that's what people need to keep in mind. And, you know, I worry that a lot of people are going to continue to get their hearts broken expecting a March rate cut when I just, I don't think they want to give up that one weapon. The cadence, by the way, I I misspoke Thursday. Thursday, which is the day, by the way, that Meta and Amazon report. So just add that <laughs> to the heap Exciting. of things that we're going to be watching on Thursday. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. The Fed, you know, again, we, we have a, a Fed funds futures that's pricing a 0% probability of a cut there. Obviously, March has come down. I think it was as high as 75 80%. Now it's below 50% or whatever. And when you think about, you know, the, the 10-year yield at 415, you look at crude oil, the way it's rallied over the last few weeks. You look at a dollar that's rallied a little bit. I mean, there are some things out there that could cause equity volatility from a very complacent level right now. And so it wouldn't even have to be any big misses of any of these big names. It could just be not the sort of guidance that people were hoping for to justify these sorts of valuations in in a way. So to me, I just think there is a lot of complacency. And might the Fed say something in the Q&A that, 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 you know, where there's no expectations that could cause a little volatility? Maybe. Um, Let's dig deeper into the charts here and how we're set up. Best and worst charts among the MAG-7. The chart master is taking a look. Well, uh, just to reiterate, I mean, Apple really is uh, the worst uh, by far in terms of relative performance. That's just uh, a fact. And the question is, can that improve? Uh, I don't think so. So we're retaining that underweight. Um, But the favorite is Meta. And we might have some charts here, but if not, uh, and you can see Meta is just now returned to its prior high, uh, which is the case for the S&P and a case for a lot of stocks. But whereas Many uh, super cap names have made substantial new highs. Meta is just now eking out slight new gains. So I think the setup here is good 
uh, especially for. Now, the chart on the screen is another way to depict this story. This is how bad Meta's been. It's a ratio chart. So it's one thing divided by another. That's simple. And what it means is that Meta's been underperforming the Magnificent Seven for four or five years. But guess what? It's starting to bottom and turn. And so it's a laggard that has catch-up potential to its other mega-cap brethren. Carter, how relevant are those highs in an Amazon, so back of the November, December 2021 levels into 22? Whenever we peaked out, uh, they all did it slightly different times, but all around that time. But some of the mega caps, is it a foregone that, that Amazon, which has not gotten to those all time? I mean, should we because because again, and can you oversimplify it? And I know you can't. But if you think about who got there first, that's right. And then who went through and who should be following right through the gates? So think about it. So if you, we know that semis, NVIDIA, I mean, if you think about it, the QQQ dropped from its peak 37% versus the S&P 27. And so they had to catch up that much more. But we know that semis are through, yep. right? And we know that, for instance, an IBM. Microsoft's like, through. Microsoft through. Whereas something like an Adobe, no. Uh, something like an, uh, an Amazon, no. And so the case is, do you favor those that have made it through? Or do you double back and find a laggard and play it? And I think that's the better player. So that would be like a meta. Uh, and we shall see about Amazon. It's crazy to think that Meta is a laggard, <laughs> given its performance this year. The stock was death. Remember, it was basis. death, and 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 you know, a lot has changed. But what has really changed, right? I mean, I, I realize the metaverse was thrown out the window, and we kind of stopped fear talking about it. Change, but the fear of efficiency. But, but that's what yeah. Alphabet can actually do. Yeah. Outline more year of efficiency. That's the one company that really hasn't embrace that narrative as much. They also have some of the biggest risks as it comes to Gen AI, right? So, so if you think about how they started last year, I mean, people thought that this was a company that was spending billions of dollars on machine learning, on uh, generative AI, in the lead up to that chat GPT launch and everything like that. And then when they went out and they launched their BARD, it was just a disaster. This is a year ago. And then think about how they ended last year with a disappointing Gemini. That was the evolution of BARD and what they are meant to do and compete with OpenAI. So to me, yes, they do have, um, I, I think, you know, less expectations as it relates to a Microsoft, but they also, for some reason, have not been able to execute or at least demonstrate what they've been able to do. And I'll just say one thing, because you said it, Tim, Meta sold off nearly 80% from its highs in late 2021, 80%. And now it's come all the way back. You know what else also sold up about 75, 80%? Tesla also did. And it's been stuck in the mud, and it's really a bad story. I think we're going to talk a little bit about that later. You know what else sold off 75% from its late 2021 highs to its lows? NVIDIA. So these are names, like just think about how much enthusiasm was encapsulated in those names two plus years ago, how much they sold off, how far they've come back, in NVIDIA's case, how far it's overshot. But just remember, people, that they can do that. I mean, like right now, they seem so great, but Tesla's telling you that it can do it again, too. Has NVIDIA overshot? Yeah, I was going to say overshot is a word. I'm not sure a term people would all use. I mean, so, uh, I let's say there's a there's a gentle experience. Some people say it's expensive or or rich, but even more nuance is full. NVIDIA is full. So you think NVIDIA is yeah, I mean, a nice wow. Full. You guys got you get you get you get my jive like you get my jive here a little bit. Okay, I don't know. I mean, these are much loved stories. They're much loved. Then they sold off. They lost three quarters. Julia, uh, Julia, you're nodding your head here. I totally agree. I, I think that the thing is, is like when you get to a, a stock that's priced like this, everything has to go right. When in anyone's life has everything gone right, right? Like it's, well, you've it's made just, a couple that references makes it very, tonight. very difficult to make money. <laughs> if everyone owns it, someone else has to buy it in order for it to continue going up. It sounds like everyone owns it, right? That makes it really hard. But didn't Netflix sort of change? I mean, I know Netflix is its own sort of idiosyncratic story. I mean, as but 
we went into this quarter thinking Netflix had its run. It had its run on the back of the ad-supported tier. And here we are, Netflix with a gain of 18% on the week. And we thought everybody owned that one, too. Doesn't but it make you hopeful? still not back to its high. Still not back to its all-time You high. still like Netflix. I think Netflix good. well. Not 680, well. 680, 690. But somewhere. still well yeah. off its... Yeah, no, no. Yep. No doubt. Coming up, American Express cashing in on strong guidance before the bell. We'll debate whether to buy the hype around this name that is so closely tied to the consumer. Plus, earnings season heats up next week. As we mentioned, it's not just about tech. There's Novo Nordisk, Starbucks, GM, ExxonMobil, all in the hot seat. We'll return to the charts for a look at how these names compare. Stay tuned. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee, right here on CNBC. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. American Express topping the tape, closing at an all-time high today after issuing better-than-expected full-year guidance. While the company missed estimates for the current quarter, it did say it anticipates revenue growth between 9 and 11 percent in 2024. Amex shares up more than 7 percent for its best day in a year. Travel and entertainment spending was also good, up 9 percent. Julie, what's your read-through on this? One thing that I thought was kind of interesting read through for the airlines is that the T&E spend looks pretty solid, but the airlines are not. It's so you're seeing a sequential decline there. And I think that's kind of important. And I think it's speaking a little bit to the nature of how work is changing, where we're spending a little bit more internally and trying to, you know, have more happening, but locally. And I think that that's kind of an interesting trend. It looks like the credit quality overall at American Express is still very, very high. And I think that's what's giving the stock a lot of support is that people feel very confident that this higher end demographic is one that American Express really knows, really understands and can underwrite to correctly without causing a lot of downside. So it's it's well positioned. I mean, the bifurcated sort of narrative has really gained a lot more steam with that Discover News, Capital One Financial, though, did well in today's session and then LVMH. So you really see the, the picture of the sort of lower end consumer having some difficulty in the higher end consumer still spending, still be, still OK. It's interesting, the segments that you get a little bit more insight into. So restaurants still remain very strong. Travel is kind of normalized. They said some of the other trends are kind of, are normalizing. What I think drove the stock is the sense that there's a lot of operational leverage in the story. So they, they're cutting expenses. Um, OPEX is kind of staying where it is. Maybe it's coming down a little bit, but yet they're going to grow EPS 13 to 17 percent. And I think that's part of where you are. It's Again, this could have been part of our, our conversation in, in the A block, which is that Visa and MasterCard, I'm sorry, Visa and Amex um, have performed a little differently, but they both talked about a consumer um, that was very resilient, and, and that's huge. 
I mean, one thing to point out, this is a classic example of why there's no such thing as good or bad news. There's only news, and it's how the market crashed. They missed on their earnings, they missed on their revenue, but the stock surged, which is to say, how do you square that off? You don't have to. The answer is it was good news. Obviously, it was good that they missed and good that they missed the revenue, because otherwise it would be down. Really simple, which is to say it wasn't as bad a miss as maybe people feared. And then the second thing I would point out, that Amex's relative performance to the S&P peaked a decade ago. Uh, you know, this is more of a bond. It's a pretty good dividend yield, but I don't think there's anything exciting here. So not a pair of twos, not And these are funny metals. These are funny So we're talking about funny metals. talking about the funny metals now. Not a pair of twos. They are funny. But a bond, maybe, in equity clothing. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. What do a vaccine maker, a coffee shop, and an oil company have in common? The Chartmaster is about to tell their technical tales ahead of earnings. We're breaking down the reports outside of big tech that you need to be ready for. Next. Plus, a storm is brewing for social media stocks as Florida moves towards a historic ban. What does it mean for your portfolio? The story, the stocks, and the pushback in D.C. Coming up, you're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Finishing mixed today, but all major averages closing out their third straight weekly gain. The Dow gaining about 16 points for another all-time high close. The S&P slipping slightly, but did hit a new intraday record during the session. The Nasdaq losing about a third of a percent. Intel tumbling nearly 12 percent for its worst day since July 2020. That after the chipmaker's very weak guidance after the bell yesterday. Um, it's, uh, were you surprised? At the continued self, you know, self no, pressure. I mean, not based upon the intel we've seen disappoint and when they disappoint, boy, they, boy, do they. And, and it's also because there's there's really no support for the stock. And, and, and I think it's you know, maybe rightly not loved by the street. But um, what we heard was that there's a continuing recovery. It's just not that robust and there's not a whole lot there. And I think the debate that's been had on this desk and could be had anywhere is is just because um, they've underperformed and the stock shouldn't have a multiple in the NVIDIA camp, um, does, it, does it deserve even a cheap multiple? In other words, um, if you put a 16 times based upon where we are on, uh, on 2024, it's a $40 stock. And, and it probably deserves maybe less of a multiple if you believe that they're not growing this fast. That's where you play around. But, you know, I actually the day before had sold some long dated calls kind of in line with what I just talked about last block. Bought a couple of them back today. doesn't mean that, you know, I, I think the stock can get running in a couple of days. I think it's still a show me story, but I, I still think there's so much momentum for them as a U.S. chip play uh, and what's going on longer term that I think people are going to own it. The foundry business, though, right now, I mean, granted, that's a part that couldn't grow as part of this sort of, uh, you know, the theme of made in the USA. But right. it's only two percent of revenue at this point. Yeah, that's so- fair. And, and and again, what we heard from Taiwan Semi and, and is really that still um, they're losing market share and, and data center. We know that they're losing that to AMD. So how do the charts look? Well, I mean, in principle, a drop in gap is something to it's tempting. It's just dropped in gap. I could get it on the cheap. 
Never do it. it as a matter of technique, mm -hmm. it usually has follow-through to the downside. But uh, we do know this. The semiconductor index, the Philadelphia Stock Exchange semiconductor, on its October low is now up 45% before today's giveback. Today's giveback is in line with something that's due for a giveback. Yeah, and of course, we mentioned AMD reporting. There are other um, chip makers that you're watching, I think, for next week. Yeah, I, listen, the AMD thing, I mean, we talked about it, I think, last night a little bit. I mean, that stock is up. It's doubled, okay, in the last, what, three or four months or so. So all of the enthusiasm, all the market share gains, all those things that you, know, you don't want to talk about that are detractors for, like, an Intel or something like that, they are in this stock. So what is the expectation that they're going to be able to print? And forget about it. To your point about the American Express, they, they could even miss and guide higher or whatever. I, I just don't see it. I just don't see how that stock can work higher. One thing I'll say about Intel is really interesting. You know, nearly a 20% customer there is, is Dell, and, 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 and that thing acts pretty well. That's not a stock that we talk about a whole heck of a lot in trading. Really, So I, I guess there's things that you may want to start looking away from generative AI that might start working out pretty decently, too, within the, the semi and the, the related space. So. Coming up, Florida advancing a bill that could ban kids under 16 from social media. The story of the stock action and the blowback in D.C. is coming up. Plus, we are bringing back the chart of the week, but that's W-E-A-K week. We'll dive into mm -hmm. some of the week's big disappointments and debate whether any of them could go from dud to stud. Oh. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have dug into next week's big tech earnings reports, but they are far from the only names on the calendar. So we wanted to ask the chart master here for his read on a few non-tech names. So we've picked four of them. Carter, can you start us off with Novo Nordisk? Well, of course, uh, this is the definition of godlike, right? When you have a, just a steady, orderly uptrend, uh, that's the nature of momentum. It's right as a matter of technique to stick with it. Does it have to continue? No, but probabilities are that it will. And so... You see, as annotated by me on that screen, arrows pointing up and to the right. Uh, that's my judgment. Not a pair of twos. Not a pair Opposite. of twos. Opposite. No, definition yeah. of godlike. Maybe a pair of kings wow. or something. A pair of kings. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Starbucks is out on Tuesday. So what do you see here? Well, uh, talk about a, a real laggard, right? I mean, this is a, a company that over the past year is down 14% uh, S&P, uh, up uh, 10. And so the issue is last quarter it gapped up 10%. A big, uh, successful quarter. Gaps come in twos or threes. I think you bet long here that you get another very sort of uh, happy uh, post-earnings pop. Uh, Exxon is out towards the end of the week here. So what does the chart look like? Yeah, Exxon, uh, not a Novo Nordis, of course, but uh, a sell-off to a level of support. And my thinking is you play for a bounce here. And GM, early next week. Yes. Well, so this is a company, I mean, look, it's a very short-term chart for a reason because it's the same price it was 15 years ago, right? It basically doesn't ever work. But uh, this minor formation, uh, I'm a buyer for uh, uh, move higher. So just to recap, you actually like all four charts that you went through. Well, that's why I picked them. All right. Which which ones looked were there ones that were terrible that well, you're like, you know, I would do this is terrible, so yeah, I'm not gonna like, do it on TV. Next, next. <laughs> All right. So Tim, where do you stand on Starbucks? Uh, I, I, I like Starbucks. I have a position that's probably 25% of the kind that I like to hold in this name, but I, I think I'm going to get it lower. And, and I just think that this is a company that is struggling between also what kind of growth they're going to have coming out of China, what kind of margin, and ultimately what are we going to pay for it. Uh, the COVID and uh, inflation have been fantastic for 
margins at Starbucks, they can't, you know, I won't get into my, my rant about the price of my venti right now, but I mean, you, you can't spend more than four fifty for a cup of coffee. Uh, you know, Is that the even, price of your venti, four fifty? Yeah, and there's nothing fancy about it. It's a no, cup of it's coffee. Drip coffee. I, I don't, don't call me a drip. Um, I just, yeah. I, anyway, I, I, I love this company, and I do feel like it's how I might have felt if I was on McDonald's 20 years ago. They're not going anywhere. This is, this is a consumer staples on some level, even though it's really discretionary cyclical. Julie, which do you like, or I'll let you go off the board even. Which name next week are you watching non-tech? Uh, non-tech name that I'm watching is probably Merck. I think, you know, it's great that GLP-1s have got everyone's attention and everyone's really excited and we can all recognize it's a problem. But it, as it turns out, there are many, many, many health conditions that we're chasing. And I think that they have recognized that their pipeline is a little bit in jeopardy and they need to get out there and do some M&A to bolster that. And they're doing that. So I'm really kind of curious hearing more how that sounds uh, going forward. You know, I want to focus on Novo for a second because I think it has a lot of characteristics that, um, you know, investors are excited about in in tech and the like here. And so to your point, it's a great looking chart. It's literally closed very near an all time high. Expectations are high. I just read a story today. One of the the bull cases, I know, Mel, you know this space really, you know, so states and governments are paying for these weight loss drugs. And so there was an article today I read that North Carolina, when they started paying for these drugs in 2021, they paid for, I think, 2,800 people to be on them last year. 25,000 people, it's 10% of their drug costs, uh, their prescription drug costs, and they're going to stop paying for them. So stuff like that, those sorts of headwinds, when you start hearing those at all-time highs, when the enthusiasm is that great and the drugs are that great and everything, that's when you want to start paying attention. I mean, to me, and so I want to see how investors react to any commentary in and around what states and governments are paying for. The long-term is interesting because you think about healthcare costs overall going down because of the reduction of cardiovascular events, et cetera, et cetera, all these other sort of comorbidities. With obesity, but in the short term, you know, with these prices still high, um, you know, we're looking at higher costs to the healthcare system, at least right now. So we're sort of in this interesting period. The, maybe the saving grace for the, from the chart perspective, from a stock perspective, is that, you know, they're selling as much as they can make. So that hasn't really hit the story yet in terms well, of Well, look, Dan's paid. bringing up a great point, and that's yeah. also a great point in favor of the bulls um, because it, it, it is. They, you know, when these states stop to think about the cost savings they're going to have overall, if right. people don't have this, this full litany of other diseases that are a function of obesity, um, it, it's, it's the big debate. But it may be the fact that they're going to spend, you know, 25,000 know, patients right away. Who knows? Yeah. Um, does the Lilly chart look as godlike as the <laughs> well, NOFO chart? It certainly has. What we, what we know is that Lilly uh, was obviously a uh, laggard compared to the great Pfizer, right? And Lilly has, has changed its stripes. And now it is uh, actually, for the first time, the biggest weight in the entire sector, healthcare sector, bigger than United Healthcare. Um, my, of the two, I like Novo better, but uh, you have to respect the Lilly chart. All right. Coming up, the S&P hit a new intraday high today, but not everyone came along for the ride. Our traders lay out their charts of the week. Mm. And if any of these names are ready to turn around. But first, a social pariah. One state eyeing a social media ban for kids. So could this just be the beginning? What it means for the stocks when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is being dubbed the seatbelt moment for social media companies. One state is taking a major step toward limiting access to these apps. Julia Borson joins us now with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, Florida's House of Representatives has passed a bill that would bar anyone 16 or younger from using social media. Now, the bill does not name companies, 
but this could deal a blow to Meta, Snap, Pinterest, TikTok, and YouTube, given that an estimated 95% of 13 to 17-year-olds are on social media, according to Pew Research. Now, Meta says it's working with Florida lawmakers and that they think it's crucial that the bill, quote, provide clear, consistent rules so all services meet the expectations of parents Teens move fluidly across online services and youth online safety bills that hold different services to different standards in different states will subject teens to inconsistent protections online. Now, the bill does have partisan support, but even if it is passed, it is likely to face lawsuits from free speech advocates as well as trade associations such as NetChoice, which has filed lawsuits against state laws restricting youth access to social media in Arkansas, California, Ohio, and Utah. But this is all part of a wave of proposed legislation from at least 35 states as well as Puerto Rico to help protect kids and teens from the potentially negative impact of social media. And it comes ahead of a Capitol Hill hearing on Wednesday on child safety and social media. So that is a hearing. Melissa, I'm going to be watching very closely. All the big CEOs are going to be there. That should be interesting. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. So what can we expect from the CEOs when they testify at the Senate Judiciary uh, hearing next week? Let's bring in Eamon Javers to preview. What is next here? Eamon. Melissa, this is going to be a big one, right? You are, as we just heard, you are going to see all the CEOs of the top companies up here. The hearing at the Senate Judiciary Committee is focused on child exploitation uh, on these social media platforms. And I think you can separate out a couple of buckets, right? One is the political pressure that these social media companies are on. That's going to be on full display next week on Wednesday. All the top executives are going to be there. They're going to be arrayed before the senators and the cameras. And you can imagine the senators are going to try to score a lot of political points against them. So the political pressure exists. You just heard Julia talking about the legislative pressure out there in the country in the various states uh, passing laws to go after social media. And then, of course, there's the legal pressure, which you see in the case of a number of cases, class action lawsuits being brought against these social media companies uh, alleging child sexual exploitation, mental health issues, uh, teen addiction to social media issues. All of those things are being adjudicated in the courts as well and throwing out a lot of embarrassing detail into the public record for these social media companies. So they're really under fire on a bunch of different fronts at the same time. It's a problem for these big companies. All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers. Um, I have no idea how they enforce it, but let's say they can. Let's say this goes through and, you know, it's not uh, contested, et cetera. Uh, what could this mean? I mean, the holy grail is to get the youth, right, to target youth. That's what Snap was all about. That was the beauty of Snap from an investor standpoint. Yeah. I mean, to get them hooked early. Um, you know, it's interesting that Julia mentioned like the different companies and we get it, Snap. And you know, YouTube is, is the one that I think is most interesting to me because it's not something that a lot of us identify as a social property, but right. for all intents and purposes, it is one of the largest ones out there. And it's one, if you have young kids, you know that they've actually spent a lot of time on there, but it doesn't have a lot of the other you know, dynamics I think that a lot of people are worried about um, as it relates to some of the bad content and some of the you know, unusually horrible behavior that exists there. Listen, this is gonna be something that we're gonna be dealing with for years, but think about in our lifetimes, I mean, they finally got around to convincing people that cigarettes were bad for kids and it took just 50 True. years or so. So good luck with this thing getting done anytime soon. So. But for cigarettes, that was a watershed moment where nobody thought anything could be done. And then all of a sudden there was that warning that was forced upon. The, and then they had to change how they advertised. I mean, things did happen that were once unthinkable to this industry. 
finally. It happened years yeah. afterwards. I, I know, but, you know, it's also unthinkable to me that we can be banning, you know, speech, banning expression. I, I mean, I, well, this sounds like we're living in a different country in the Far East, and, and I, I mean, I can't, there's no way it's happening. I mean, it's, like, it's almost like they're trying to substitute the function of parents, right? Because it's really up to parents there to decide you go. what access your children have, Julie. So I don't know if, uh, if lawmakers can actually step into that role. Well, I don't I don't think it's free speech, right, because it's a it's a commercial private platform and, and they can really do whatever they want. It's not the town square, as they love to argue. It's it's you know, it's a it's a business and they run it as a business. But I think it's undeniable that if you look at when Facebook was able to get on a phone and teen depression, that they are almost perfectly correlated. Right. And so it's hard to kind of ignore that this has a major impact on our teens who don't even have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. It doesn't really seem like it's going to have a huge impact on their business because most of them aren't on some of these social media platforms, right? The, the really young people are not on Facebook. But I agree with Dan. YouTube is the most nefarious one. It is actually where you see the most dangerous content. And I think it's actually probably the easiest one to regulate for them. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Coming up, it is Friday. <laughs> and we've not one, but two. Oh, not two. Four. We've got four charts of the week for you. So shocking, that number. And we're spelling this one with an A, W-E-A-K. Which of these laggards can make the case for a turnaround? You won't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks hitting some record highs this week as investors digested positive economic data. All three major indices notching a weekly gain. But it wasn't sunshine and rainbows for everybody. It's time for charts of the week. W-E-A-K, the stocks and sectors where traders are seeing some troubling price action. So, Tim, kick us off. And week is hard to find this year. So, um, Gilead. And Gilead is, is you know, kind of a standout also with the IBB. But if you look at that chart, it, it's, it's less about, uh, to me, where that chart's going. I think maybe it still continues to go higher. It's the abrupt sell-off that it had around the release of their Phase 3 Trudel V. And this is uh, at least a pipeline, their oncology, that's expected to be one-third of revenue by 2030. It's another one of these companies that people are a little bit worried about whether the pipeline's going to match up. I think it will. Um, and I think IBB and biotech looks good. Dan. Yeah, mine would be the SMH, that's ETF that tracks the semiconductor index. And when I think about this one, um, again, we've already talked about AMD. We talked about Intel's report this week. Look at the five-day chart here. So it ended the week where it started the week. But here's the deal. It closed down 4% from the highs earlier this week. So obviously it sold off in sympathy with Intel as a big um, uh, component of it. But I look at next week, okay, and I look at NVIDIA, you know, like, Four of their largest uh, customers are going to be reporting, and we know what they are. They're Microsoft, they're Meta, they're Amazon, uh, and they're Alphabet. And so to me, look at this chart here. I think this thing pulls back to 178 or so over the next week or two. That's SMH. Julie, what's your chart? Well, you know, well, 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 if it isn't the fundamentals catching up to Tesla this quarter, you know, you've seen the impact of more entrants coming in. And I hear again and again, Elon built a better car, he built a better product, and he's going to get us out of this. It doesn't matter if he has the best car, if he has the fastest car. He has competition and they have to cut prices and margins are absolutely getting crushed. So I believe that this should be trading more in line with the other automakers. It has more growth, so it can trade at a little premium, but not this premium. All right. Uh, finally, Chartmaster, your chart of the week. Well, the weakest of all. Uh, Archer Daniels <laughs> dropped 23% in the week, uh, biggest one-day drop in the company's history, uh, irregular accounting, CFO put on the sidelines. 
but it's not out of nowhere. It was at a 52-week low. So is Mosaic. Um, so is Potlash, right? Deer is down 6% over the past 12 months. Caterpillar is up 15. Everything ag-related has been heavy, and Archer Daniels literally uh, fell out of bed this week. News-related, of course, but mm -hmm. it happened from a very bad pattern. By the way, which of the traders' charts of the week did you like best? You know what? You're going to have to remind me. I was thinking about mine. <laughs> no, the other one. Gilead, no, Tes obviously. Gilead, Tesla, oh, SMH. The worst one's Tesla, yeah. for sure, I would, yeah. which I would just continue to be short and stay away from. All right. Up next, final trades. Quick programming note. Monday and Tuesday next week, Fast Money will be live in Miami Beach, broadcasting from the iConnections Global Alts 24 conference. We'll be joined by Dan and Guy on set. We've got a big lineup. Here's just a few of the highlights. Monday, Brad Gerstner, founder and CEO of Altimeter Capital, will join us. A great voice ahead of a monster week of tech earnings. Tuesday, we'll be joined by the co-CEOs of Fortress and Oaktree for a conversation about the private credit markets. And then we'll hear from the real-life traders behind the big short, a must-see reunion, and a conversation about what they are trading right now. It all starts 5 p.m. Monday night, right here on Fast Money on the Road. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Julie. You know, given how rowdy tech's going to be next week, I am seeking comfort in Bentley Securities. It's infrastructure software. It's a steady eddy. Way to go. Tim Seymour. I'm long, and I expect to be long into the GM numbers, so maybe we'll finally hear about how they're getting a little more credit for their ICE business. Um, that's internal combustion engine. Thank you. And uh, we'll see. <laughs> Carter Braxenworth are worth charting. Silver had a very good week relative to gold, so the iShares Silver, SLV. Dan, if you're up for Miami, it's going to be an exciting couple days. It's going to be hot. Um, you know, <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking about those big tech names here. I just don't know how, if you own those things, just like Tim is talking to his clients about it, how you don't want to be, uh, you know, long some puts in the QQQ. They look too cheap to me. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. Have a great weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.